Today we're going to be looking at what God has to say to us in 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel chapter 13. And our focus today will be on verses 23 to 39. When we see King David in these chapters, we can see how his kingdom and his power has reached a pinnacle point. David was one of the greatest rulers in all of human history. And at this very moment, his kingdom is as large as it has ever been. He has more power. He has more influence. He has more authority than he has ever had. He has reached his pinnacle. Just prior to chapter 13, we see how David led the Israelites against their arch enemies, the Ammonites. And Israel has the Ammonites for breakfast. There's no competition. And yet, when we get to chapter 13, there's no denying the fact that David comes across as a wimp. (laughs) He is weak. And his weakness results in devastation for his household and wreckage. And it shows this disconnect between his outward power, his outward authority, where he has all this land, he has all this territory, he has a great city for himself, he has a great palace for himself. That stands in sharp relief against the disaster of his personal life, of his spiritual life, of his household. So what went wrong? What went wrong? The problem is that David failed to draw strength from the one thing that is totally sufficient to strengthen God's people in every season of life. The one thing, and that it's the one thing that is totally sufficient for you and for me today as we face all kinds of challenges and obstacles in different seasons of life. We can try, but ultimately we won't be able to draw the strength that we need from a relationship, from a career, from any kind of substance. There is only one thing, and that one thing is the grace of God. The grace of God. Only the grace of God is totally sufficient to strengthen you for every season of life. Whether we're in a pandemic or not, whether we're facing economic hardship or not, whether we're facing political turmoil or not, the grace of God and only the grace of God is totally sufficient to strengthen you and strengthen me for every season of life.
That's what we need to know. And because that's true, here's what we need to do. Strive to continually convince your heart that that is true. Strive to continually convince your heart that God's grace is totally sufficient to strengthen you for every season of life. And we know that David lost sight of this because God's silence is deafening in 2 Samuel chapter 13. God's silence is deafening. But what did God's grace look like for David? Well, if you go back just prior to this, you'll recall that David committed a grievous sin. He committed adultery against a man named Uriah with his wife Bathsheba. And then to compound his error, he had Uriah put on the front lines of the battle so that he would be killed. And he thought he could get away with it, but of course he couldn't. God knew. And God speaks words of judgment against him and against his house and tells him in chapter 12, verse 10, Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. David will reap the consequences of his actions. But, but, remember this. When David says, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan, God's prophet, says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is to be born to you shall die. David is judged, he is punished, he is disciplined, but he is not killed, even though he fully deserves that, and he is not removed from his throne. God sovereignly chose David to be his king over Israel, and God sovereignly chose to not give David what he deserved here, and that's called grace. God's unmerited favor for sinners, like you and like me. That's what God's grace looked like. And yet, it seems that David lost sight of that. He wasn't striving to convince his heart that God's grace is totally sufficient. And likewise, we can fall into at least two errors when it comes to God's grace. Sometimes, we can take grace for granted. We can presume on God's grace. We, we assume, well, I'm saved. I guess I can do whatever I want. I'm golden. My ticket to heaven is punched. We can take it for granted. We can presume on God's grace. But we can also take God's grace for granted in, in the sense that we think it's not sufficient. We think there is no way that God's grace can cover what I have done or what I have said. There is no way that God's grace is totally sufficient for me in this season of life 
to address this thing, this problem, whatever that is in your life. We think there's no way that God's grace is sufficient for that. And so we need to be reminded and we need to remind our hearts that his grace is sufficient. It is sufficient and we cannot take it for granted ever, ever. So we're going to learn by a negative example here about how we can avoid this kind of weakness, how we can draw strength from God's grace so that we are better prepared to face whatever season of life we find ourselves in. And before we pick up our reading in verse 23, let's just remember what's happening. Just as David's sin began with a sexual sin, adultery, that then led to murder, so also, like father, like son, that same pattern is playing out in his own household. One of his sons, his oldest son, the heir to the throne named Amnon, commits sexual violence against his sister Tamar. And David is furious about it, but doesn't do a thing. He doesn't do a thing. It's a horrifying scripture. But the next son in line to the throne, Absalom, the brother of Tamar, takes a very different approach. He seeks revenge. He seeks revenge. That's where we left off. So let's pick up our reading in verse 23. After two full years, Absalom had sheep shears at Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go, lest we be burdensome to you. He pressed him, but he would not go, but gave him his blessing. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom pressed him until he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. What we see here is how David was too weak to avoid being manipulated. David was too weak because he wasn't drawing his strength from God's grace. He was too weak to avoid being manipulated. He's already been manipulated by Amnon when Amnon has this disgusting plot to get alone with Tamar, and he pretends to be ill, and he says to David, send, send my, my half-sister Tamar to me, and, and David goes right along with it. Couldn't be anything wrong with that. Now, when Absalom has another disgusting plot in mind to exact revenge on his half-brother for what he has done to his sister Tamar, David goes right along with it. He is easily manipulated. He is wimpy. He is wimpy. And if you've been reading along in First and Second Samuel, you have to think, who is this guy? This is, this is David? King David? This is the guy who had the same boldness to face down Goliath the giant? 
This is the, the same David who is such a shrewd and cunning negotiator, who is such a discerning judge of character when other people have tried to manipulate him, such as King Saul. You think of all the times King Saul lied to David and tried to manipulate David and make David think, oh, David, I don't intend any harm for you. Just come. It's safe to come back into my household. I won't do anything. When all along, King Saul sees David as his rival and wants to eliminate him. And David saw through all of it. But somehow, in this moment, David can't see through his own son's plot. Is this the same person? How can this be the same person? While in one sense, God's judgment on David is playing out. And there's nothing David can do about that. It's also true that David is fully responsible for how he plays into the hands of his son. He lacks the discernment that he had earlier. He fails to know his own children. He fails to think that Absalom might have ulterior motives. And and let's walk through this dialogue. So we're told a, a summary of what's happening in verse 23. Absalom had sheep shearers. So this is a a celebration. It's time to shear the sheep. Everybody come, let's party together. And beginning at verse 24, we read about how that plays out. So Absalom goes to the king. He says, dad, everybody come. I'm having a big party. And David's response is, no, no, no. I know how much you have in your bank account. And trust me, you can't afford that kind of party. We're not all going to go. All right. Absalom says, okay, okay, but can at least Amnon come? Can Amnon come to my party? Maybe David thinks, well, you know, it's been two full years. Probably he's gotten over whatever grudge he had against Amnon. Surely it's safe, right? But he asks the question. He has enough discernment to ask, why Amnon? And we're not told what other reason Absalom gave, but he pressed him, and David relented. David got in. Okay, sure. And because he is naive, he puts his children in a compromised situation. Remember, it was David who sent Tamar to Amnon. You saw what happened there. Now it is David sending Amnon to Absalom. He's so easily manipulated. And all this results because David fails as a father. Despite all his power and his prestige and all he's accomplished, he fails as a father. And and I want to say something to parents today. And especially dads. This is for all parents, but I especially want dads to hear this. We cannot afford to abdicate our responsibility as fathers for our family. We can't afford to not know our children and how God has made them. We can't afford to be absent and not know the dynamics within our own household. David should have known what Absalom was up to. And dads, we cannot just take the approach, well, discipline is for mom. She'll handle that, and we'll just 
be fun dad. We cannot afford to take that approach. Dads, God has put you where you are by his grace. And his grace is totally sufficient to equip you and to strengthen you to do what God has called you to do. Step up. Care for your children. Discipline your children. Know them. Be involved. And that applies to all parents, but especially dads. And we can learn from David's negative example here. He puts his children in compromised situations because he can't see through what's going on. He's naive. He's weak. So be alert. Be discerning. Strive to remind your heart that God's grace is sufficient. Draw strength from God's grace. Next, we read of what Absalom had in mind. Verse 28. Then... Absalom commanded his servants, Mark when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not fear. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each mounted his mule and fled. What we see in these verses is that when David sends Amnon and his other sons to this party, he is too weak to avoid grievous injustice from being committed. He is too weak to avoid grievous injustice from being committed to his own family, by his own son. Everything about this is upside down. And it all points back to the fact that David knew what Amnon had done to Tamar, but he did nothing. Oh, he was furious. He was furious. He was so upset. And we don't know why he didn't punish Amnon, but we do know that Amnon was first in line to the throne. So maybe he's thinking, well, God has promised me this eternal kingdom. How is that going to happen if Amnon is not allowed to be king? Well, I can't, I can't do that. So he did nothing. And we need to remember, it is not enough to just be angry, to just try to cover up sin. It must be dealt with. And there is a right way for these things to be dealt with. The right way for this to be dealt with is for David, as a father and as the king, to punish Amnon. But because he doesn't, then Absalom takes matters into his own hands, and when he acts, it is out of vengeance and revenge. And we, we need to be careful to distinguish between justice and revenge. Two very different things. God has entrusted governing authorities with the responsibility to exact justice. When it's up to any one person, especially someone who's offended, it's always going to go farther than it should. And even governments can get it wrong. But we're told in Romans 13 that God has given the sword to the government for a reason. David is the king. David is the one who should have addressed Amnon. At a minimum, he should have been imprisoned for this crime. But he does nothing. David is weak. 
He doesn't seek God in this. God is absent. God doesn't speak. He doesn't care about God at this point. He's not drawing strength from God's grace. And so Absalom acts, and we see in Absalom what happens when you allow bitterness and resentment to grow and to be cultivated and nurtured in your heart. Two full years have passed, and he's just seething, waiting for an opportunity. He doesn't care that Amnon's his brother. And it's also possible that in acting here, Absalom's going beyond just paying Amnon back for what he did to Tamar. It's also possible that already Absalom has designs on the throne of Israel. And so he's eliminating the one who stands to inherit the throne so that he is next in line. It could be that that's what he's doing. But either way, David is too weak to prevent this, all because he failed to act. He failed to exercise his authority. So remember your responsibility. Don't let bitterness, don't let what is wrong be ignored or covered over. How should it have been handled? Well, for David and for Absalom, here's what Leviticus 19 verse 17 says. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, and you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against your sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There's no reasoning frankly here. So parents, dads, whoever you are, you are not where you are in life by accident. You didn't just fall into that position. God has put you where you are for a reason. And God's grace can supply everything you need to be faithful wherever he has put you. Convince your heart that that is true. Next, verse 30. While they were on their way, news came to David. Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the earth, and all his servants who were standing by tore their garments. But Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother, said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore, let not my lord the king so take it to heart as to suppose that all the king's sons are dead, for Amnon alone is dead. But Absalom fled, and the young men who kept the watch lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. And Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, as your servant said, so it has come about. And as soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted up their voice and wept. And the king also and all his servants wept very bitterly. Notice here how David is too weak to avoid wilting, wilting, falling to pieces when others overreacted. A report comes back 
And it's a total overreaction. They say, Your Majesty, all your, king, all your sons are dead. They've all been killed. And David doesn't ask any questions. He just believes it. And again, how can this be the same person when you go back to the beginning of 2 Samuel and David gets a report that King Saul and Jonathan are dead? First thing he does, how do you know that they're dead? How do you know that? He lacks any discernment here. He just accepts it. He's so weak. And he falls to pieces and he tears his clothes and everybody around him falls apart. His emotions, his feelings are are tossed this way and that. He's a mess. And what you need to know today is that if you are not drawing your strength from God's totally sufficient grace, his unmerited favor for a sinner like you, then your emotions are going to be tossed to and fro depending on whatever is on the headlines, whatever you're seeing on your Facebook feed. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. God can strengthen your heart so that you can stand fast, so that you can be discerning, so that when other people are falling apart and overreacting, when there's misinformation or there are falsehoods, you can say, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's grace is totally sufficient. God is on his throne. Nothing can push God off his throne. Let me be patient here. Let me keep listening. Let me keep learning. You don't have to fall to pieces like David. But instead of turning to God in this moment, who does he turn to? Jonadab. And who is Jonadab? Jonadab is that slyly fox who also convinced Amnon that it would be a good idea to pretend to be sick so he could draw his sister Tamar to him. Same guy, David's nephew. And Jonadab says to him, let not my Lord suppose that they've all died. They're not all dead. And, and notice what else he knows. For by the command of Absalom, this has been determined from the day he violated his sister Tamar. So Jonadab wasn't there. He didn't know what Absalom did in this moment, but he knew what Absalom's plot was, and he said nothing. And what you need to know is that if you don't rely on God's grace, if you're not drawing your strength on the firm foundation of his grace, well, then you're going to listen to somebody like Jonadab. You're going to listen to whoever happens to be around you. And you're not going to be able to discern whether they're speaking truth or not. And David apparently is not able to see through. Jonadab knew what was happening, and he said nothing. We are to be people of the truth. Seek the truth. Listen for the truth. All truth is God's truth. We can't afford to give our hearts to somebody like Jonadab and expect them to tell us the truth. Don't be like David. Be alert. Be alert. Be strengthened by God's grace. Because as it turns out, it was all wrong. All the other king's sons come back. So what happens to Absalom? Verse 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. So Absalom fled and went to Geshur and was there three years. And the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom because he was comforted about Amnon. 
since he was dead. These verses are, are difficult to translate, and there's a lot of ambiguity and, and understanding what they mean. But what we know is that Absalom goes to his maternal grandfather. His mother was someone that David had married out of a political alliance. So he goes to his grandfather, and he stays there for three years. And we're told the spirit of the king longed to go out to Absalom. We don't know if that's because he wants to be reconciled. Probably not. If you keep reading, it doesn't seem like David's looking to be reconciled. But it, or is he, does, does he not go out because he's not exacting justice against him for what he has done to Amnon? Because he was comforted about Amnon. But what we know, what is clear, is that David was too weak to avoid inertia when decisive action was needed. Decisive action is needed here. A heinous crime has been committed in Israel. And David sits back and does nothing. Maybe he thinks, well, the first heir to the throne is dead. Absalom is the only one left. Maybe I can't hold him accountable. So I just do nothing. He does nothing. He just sits back, stuck in inertia, not doing anything. Now, we can identify, can't we? Anybody ever tried the silent treatment? I, I, I'm not going to actually engage you with the real issues. We're not going to have a, a real frank conversation about how you see things, how I see things, how, how you think you've been wrong, how I think I've been wrong. I'm just not going to talk. So David decides, I'm just going to stay in Jerusalem, I'm let him go off, and I just won't deal with it. We're good at avoidance, aren't we? When it's something we don't want to talk about, it's something we don't want to think about, it's something that we would rather put off, we will put it off, Right? We will put it off. We will avoid. We know exactly what David is doing here. And the lesson here is don't do that. It doesn't have to be this way. Seek reconciliation. Sometimes it's really hard. Seek justice. We can't just cover over what is wrong or what is false. We need to speak. We need to take responsibility for where God has put us as a mother, as a father, as a co-worker, wherever you are, God has put you there for a reason. And his grace is sufficient for you right where you are in any season of life. But at the end of this chapter, we can't help but ask the question, God, why'd you choose this guy? <laughs> I mean, this guy who's so weak, so fragile, so prone to being manipulated, this is the king? This is the one you chose? This is the one through whom you chose to reveal your heart? This is a king after God's own heart? Why? Why? Did God mess up? Did he choose the wrong guy? There's only one reason. And it's the only reason that you're still here and I'm still here. It's grace. God's free, sovereign, and abounding grace. Just consider what the Apostle Paul says to a young Timothy. As Paul is imprisoned, as it looks hopeless, imagine that season of life. You think a pandemic is bad. Imagine being in prison, 
Not because you've done anything wrong, but because you've been loving Jesus and proclaiming Jesus. And so Paul is writing to encourage Timothy to say, keep the faith, stand firm, convince your heart. God is on his throne. God's grace is sufficient. And he begins by reminding him, look, the same faith that's in you, that was in your grandmother. It was in your mother. That same faith is in you. So remember, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear or timidity, but of power and love and self-control. That's the spirit God has given to his people by his grace. Not one of fear. Not to worry about what Absalom thinks, or what Amnon thinks, or what the rest of Israel thinks, or what your neighbors think, or what your pastor thinks. Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Your accountability before God. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, don't miss this, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Grace. Amazing. Astounding. Grace. Do you know that grace? Can you say, I'm just as much of a mess as David? <laughs> and while we can learn from his example, we can see it doesn't have to be that way. We're not going to presume on God's grace. We're not going to take God's grace for granted. We're going to realize I'm no more deserving than he is. God didn't choose me because of anything I've done or said. He chose me because of his grace. Because that's the kind of God he is. That he intervenes with sinners who are lost. He sends his own son to do for you and for me what we can never do for ourselves. To shed his precious blood to make atonement for your sins. To raise him to new life so that you can have eternal life starting now. All by his grace. God didn't make a mistake in choosing David. God doesn't make mistakes. Will you receive his grace today? And if you believe you have, if you've confessed Jesus as Lord, does your heart need to be convinced that his grace is totally sufficient? Is totally sufficient. And use these moments to talk to yourself, talk to your soul, talk to your heart, remind yourself, God is good, God is gracious, and his grace is totally sufficient for every season of life. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the all-sufficiency of your favor, of your mercy, of your forgiveness and your love. Help us to learn from what you show us in your word. Help us to never take your grace for granted. Help us to draw strength day in and day out from your grace. We thank you that we don't have to go out and look for you, that you have made yourself known to us so that wherever we are, whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever we haven't done, 
Your grace is available, and it is totally sufficient to save sinners like us, all because of what Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has done for us. And so we pray these things in his holy and loving name. Amen.